What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast. I'm grateful to have two of the most respected companies in the Bitcoin space supporting this show. If you already know about all the products which CoinKite produces for securing and having some fun with your Bitcoin, or why River is the go-to place to buy Bitcoin in the U.S., you can get right to the show by skipping ahead 70 seconds. Otherwise, keep listening. CoinKite is a specialist in making Bitcoin hardware. Their flagship product is the cold card, a Bitcoin hardware wallet which is a favorite of hardcore Bitcoiners, has a ton of unique security-enhancing features, and is great as a singular solution or, due to its compatibility with a broad array of wallets, as part of a multi-sig approach. If you're looking to gift so-called physical Bitcoin, you can pick up a SATS card. And if you've been waiting to join the Block Clock Club, the Micro is out now for less than $200, so you can keep an eye on incoming blocks, SATS per USD, and much more. To check it all out, visit CoinKite.com. River is the place to build your Bitcoin wealth in the US. You can securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and mine Bitcoin at competitive rates through rigs which are sold and hosted by River. Also, River is at the forefront of developing scalability solutions for Bitcoin. Their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because they don't cut corners and because they have a principled and talented team dedicated to building the future of financial services with Bitcoin. To learn more, visit river.com today. Let's do it. Uh, it's been a while. When did we last do one of these? I feel like it's been over a year. No, dude. <laughs> it feels long. Uh, it was technically last year. But uh, I believe it was the the psychedelic series that we did. And I was in Europe at the time, I remember, because I was jumping through Airbnbs with wife. Yeah, but that was that was on me on you on yours, right? Oh yeah, that's right. You were on that's right. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, that's that's been a while. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's um anyways, it's been eventful. Lots has has gone on. You've written a book, you've done a lot of moving around. I think you've had some changes in perspective or attitudes towards Bitcoin and perhaps life in general. So mm -hmm. um, I think we both thought it was an appropriate time to get back together for a catch up and and see where things are at. So I don't know if you had any place in particular you, you wanted to start before I crack into some of the things I wanted to touch on. Not necessarily, man. Let's uh, I'll let you guide this conversation. Well, the first, first of all, kudos on the book. Um, Thank you. I have a copy right here. Thank you. Re really enjoyed it. Um, I can see it having a really positive impact. Well, for a number of reasons, but one just because it's so simple, clear, and concise. You know, mm -hmm. and and I thought you guys did a brilliant job in laying the groundwork first with definitions and all that, because as you know, today, you know, words have lost their meaning, and so you're basically black is establishing white, white is black. right. Yeah. So you're establishing what words mean before you go on to use them in the book. So there's no ambiguity, which is great. Um, and it's just you know, it's it's the type of simple, almost common sense thinking, at least you know, to people like you and I, that is so uncommon today. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it will really help people uh, rebut a lot of the bullshit collectivist communist sort of philosophy and thinking that is running rampant today. So kudos on putting that together. Um, what was the what was the process like of writing the book? I knew I know you and Mark did a kind of a book sprint, which is kind of mind blowing because, mm -hmm. again, it is. The, uh, even though it's short, the quality of the writing is, I think, very good. 
Uh, so what was that like and what has the, the feedback or response been? Yeah, so the you were in Salvador, right? When um, we were there in June or July, yeah. sort of just pre- when there's yeah, a big group there. of us yeah. with Mark and yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, Brecky like and uh, Stephen Brecky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. I was trying to like, I was trying to think in my head. I'm like, am I hallucinating? Was John there? I'm pretty <laughs> sure you were. That was that was actually where the idea popped up. So. I think Mark and I were having lunch and he just said, have you read the, Unco- the sorry, he, he said, have you read the communist manifesto? And I just said, what, why, why the fuck would I do that? Um, he said, it's really bad. I'm just, sure. I'm sure it is, bro. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. You don't but have you, to tell me, you know, I read, I read that just to butt in before you go on. I read that um, like 20 years ago, just cause I mm-hmm. wanted to expose myself to all the philosophies and economic theories and stuff like that. Um, and I kind of forgot about it and I guess I wasn't mm-hmm. primed to really assess yeah. it properly or judge it, but I read it because I was reading this and I wanted to, you know, know what you guys were talking about. I can't, I cannot believe that that book and that way of thinking and the points made in that book are what has motivated or oriented so many people's economic and political philosophy since it was written it is so awful there are there i know like it's so poorly argued there's holes all over it it it's logically inconsistent in many places i mean i can't i can't believe it it's it's been so influential you know it's mind-boggling man when i like when mark mentioned that in in july of 20 i guess that was 2021 right and, you know, the, the sort of the idea just sat in the back of our heads for a while. And, you know, I had a big change uh, in my personal circumstances in um in December of 2021 or sort of December, January. So I just hit Mark up in January. I said, hey, dude, you want to write this book? I said, I'll have some time in January. Let's get together. So we we jumped uh, into an Airbnb in Austin and just sort of hit it. And and in the sort of week preceding, I did the same thing. I sat down, read the book. I thought, what, what in God's name did I just read? Um, you know, I read it again, thinking that maybe I'm being too judgmental. I was like, no, this is really bad. Like the, as you said, logical inconsistencies, poor definitions. Like he, he kind of like paints people he doesn't like, you know, with a particular brush and then just makes a bunch of assumptions of people he doesn't like nor interact with, uh, with a, a further set of assumptions. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I, when I first started putting notes together, I was just basically doing rebuttals to each of his points. And anyway, when Mark and I got together, we we're like, okay, so what are we actually going to write here? Is it going to be like a rebuttal to the book, you know, this and that? And we didn't actually have a direction initially. The the book sort of, I don't know, it was kind of like organically kind of popped up. We just said, all right, how about we try and, you know, let's try and emulate the the style and the length of the book because clearly something about the length seems to have maybe contributed to its, you know, success. And, and there is something to be said about a short, concise book, you know, the the law and anatomy of the state being sort of two on the logical end of the spectrum that have done that have done quite well, right? And so we sat down, we kind of split the chapters up. Uh, I think I took one and three, Mark took two and four. Um, and we just started like letting the ideas flow. And we kind of, you noticed obviously throughout the book, there's some sentence structures that we kind of took from Mark's, like, you know, the opening of chapter um, one, for example, the the structure of chapter two, where we kind of talk about crony capitalism and all the, you know, the false forms of capitalism. He does a similar thing about socialism and communism. And then in chapter three is obviously the the 10 points. And we we sort of dissected those and 
made our own 10 points that we thought were were more um more prescriptive for for a more functional society so so we did that but really the book kind of organically emerged and we we got obviously 80% of it done during that book sprint and then I played editor later um which is why I think there is like a couple spelling mistakes throughout but anyway my bad I'm not an editor um and yeah I spent a couple of weeks just sort of going through it refining editing refining editing and then yeah we we decided to publish ourselves and what was that process like you know cuz most people have never published a book so what was it like getting it printed getting it listed i assume it's kind of easy for amazon but like do you have to work with distributors to get it sent out elsewhere and then yeah. what was what was the response cuz i know i mean on amazon the reviews are outstanding right you have yeah. a lot of really positive reviews so you know what was the feedback how did it sell what was the, the publishing like enlighten me yeah so let's let's start with the process so the the process was not as difficult as I thought it would be. Like I, I wasn't sure, like, you know, how do you publish a book? Who do you go to? So we ended up going with Ingram Spark, for example, and they they did a great job. They printed the first round of books. Um, we, you know, you obviously get your price breaks, right? So we ordered a bunch. And I think we overshot the mark initially. Like we ordered <laughs> we ordered something like two thousand books to sell at um at the Bitcoin conference as like sort of pre-sale, pre-launch. And that was a dumbass move because How made you we, sell? we thought uh, we, we sold a good chunk. We sold five, 600, right? Like, oh, but, not bad. What, not bad. we didn't do the math, right? Because I thought like the, the way we did the math was, oh, okay, there's going to be 30,000 people there. I'm sure we'll sell, you know, a couple thousand books, but you know, you get like two signing slots of 60 minutes. Like how do you physically sign 2000 books in 60 minutes? Like even mm. if you signed, five books a minute, which is pretty, you know, on point, that's 300 books maximum in that space of time. So we, yeah, I fucked that up. And, but, it, but you know what we, we actually, I think so other than Saifedean, Saifedean definitely sold more books than we did. Um, he sold the most out of everybody. Like we were by far the second most sold book. Um, and then sort of everybody else, I think sold on average, like between 30 to 50 books. So we were sort of an order of magnitude more. So, so that it was good. It did well. Uh, we obviously did a Kickstarter as well. And then we sort of used the excess books to fulfill that. That was a little bit complicated because, you know, we had to, Mark and I were in different cities. So we had to sign both the books and that was a fucking nightmare because we had to get in the same city, sign the books and everything. So I realized doing a Kickstarter and offering a signed tier, like definitely needs to be charged way higher because right. it's just, and then actually shipping those books because when you sign and dedicate, like you're not just sending a signed copy, you sign, you got to make sure that one goes to that person. So when we had to uh, send it to the fulfillment company, we had to get a fulfillment company to get them all out. That was a fucking pain in the ass because I had to sit there and tag and label each book and then bundle them together to say, all right, this pack of books goes to this person. And th there was a lot of manual work in it. I think it took me like three days locked up in the room trying to sort of dedicate each one and sign them and tag them and, you know, put it in the spreadsheet. So that way it goes to the right person, and everything. But anyway, we learned a lot from the process um, and it was good. Like the crowdfund was great. The, you know, we smashed the goal. We set out to raise six grand. I think we did over 20, um, so that was, you know, that was really good. And, um, and yeah, and then we just, you know, kept pumping it on podcasts and stuff. I mean, for the last, I don't know, we, we kind of, the podcast died off in August. Um, so the book I think officially launched in August on Amazon. Um, and we just sort of did podcasts coming up into that. And the last big podcast we did was obviously with Alex Jones, uh, in August that was sort of, before, right, right. 
Yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, that was yeah, that was hilarious. And um and I mean that that spiked our sales. Like and I hope sure. that the book acted as an orange pill for um for people reading it because we obviously I mean that's the one thing that I think is special about this book is that it's 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 a Bitcoin book, but it's not a Bitcoin book, right? Mm-hmm. Like it sets the stage for that. We only had one short section about Bitcoin in there. And it was it was succinct. It laid the case for why Bitcoin, not you know, nothing technical, nothing overly, you know, fancy or confusing or anything. It just laid the case for why you need better money and why Bitcoin's better money and why it's the only form of uh digital money that sort of, you know, fulfills that promise. And I think, you know, it's it's probably done a good enough job. Like, you know, so so sort of to, to track back since August, we haven't done much marketing or promotion or anything like, you know, there's still some sales going through. And, you know, what I've learned is that if you're going to be an author, you really need to continue pumping and doing podcasts and doing appearances and all that sort of stuff um, to make sure that people, you know, get access to it. But yeah, the, the overall feedback has been fantastic. I mean, I've only seen two bad comments and one was from a guy that said, you know, communism is the worst thing that ever happened in the world. You know, you idiots are writing about that. And I'm like, bro, we wrote a book against communism. <laughs> like, so I don't think you read the book. It was just one of those like unverified review comments. scroll or, or review troll or something yeah. like that. Basically. What the fuck? Um, so I was like, thanks for your one-star review, dum-dum. And, you know, despite agreeing. And then there was someone else like, I think calling Mark a scammer or something like that, whatever. And then, but that's it. Like other than that, like other than two trolls, we've had like great feedback and yeah, it's, uh, it's done really how, well. I think. How much does an author make on a book? You know, you always hear that like, shit. well, if, if it retails for 20, they make like two or something like that. I mean, what's Pretty the reality? Much. Like we, we're sort of making, I think five bucks a book and we split it between us. So like, and it retails for, for what? I think like 13 bucks or something. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, but that's because we don't have a publisher, right? So self-published right. is you'll make, you'll make the margin there. Um, and you, whereas if you had a publisher, dis- then. Does it get distributed to like physical bookstores throughout the world or is it only on Amazon? Nah, it's only on Amazon. Yeah. How many have you sold? Just out of curiosity. I mean, if you count the pre-sales and the um and the the Kickstarter and all that sort of stuff, you know, maybe we're at 10k, I think. That's great, is, man. You know, it's not bad. Yeah. I think it's fucking awesome. Selling ten thousand yeah. books. You know, and I, I agree with your point that um and I I mean, I don't know if this is there's gonna be a lot of books like that in the future. It's certainly the case with what I'm trying to write, but if you do a good enough job you know, uh, explicating the context of, of what you're talking about and the importance of the forthcoming solution. I don't think you have to, sp- I mean, it depends of course, what angle you're taking, but you may not have to spend too much time on, you know, uh, talking about the solution in this case, Bitcoin, right? So you kind of like lay out what mm-hmm. the problem mm-hmm. is. And then you basically just say like, there appears to be an emerging solution to this, or at least something that's going to dramatically ameliorate the circumstance that keeps allowing this thinking and these systems to recur. And um, of course, right? Because if you just try to pitch someone Bitcoin and they have no, they're not primed whatsoever to understand why something like that is even necessary. Like you can go on and on about 21 million and, you know, lightning network and whatever, whatever else, but they, that that's meaningless to them because they haven't, 
appreciated the importance of that. They haven't appreciated the utility, the necessity, the mm -hmm. implications, all that kind of stuff. So if you do that groundwork first, then I think serving up the solution is a lot easier and you don't have to be as forceful with your, you know, your argumentation or your persuasion. And I, so I think books like that probably will be a pretty strong force for orange pilling because it's not Bitcoin in your face the whole time. It's mm -hmm. here's a problem that pretty much everyone can relate to, to some degree, if you're at all like non clown world person, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and then you're just saying, you know, there's a lot of people pr propose a lot of different solutions. This is the one that seems to be the most logical in terms of in line with the logic we've used throughout this book. And then of course, it's up to everyone to think, you know, how much it makes sense to them and how much they want to pursue a greater understanding. But I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think you guys did a great job. Yeah. Thank you. I, th I think th that sort of what you're talking about there reminds me of sales and entrepreneurialism, which is, you know, more, more my background than writing. Like I I've just sort of stumbled into writing, just being a Bitcoiner, right? Which we all seem to, or a lot of us seem to have done. But mm -hmm. when I sort of look at it through the lens of, uh, of being an entrepreneur and, selling something is the classic Simon Sinek thing. It's start with why, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to start there. And that, and I think I grasped that early on about Bitcoin, you know, which is sort of one of my early, 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 early pieces, like before I was a proper Bitcoin maxi, before I was on Twitter or anything like that was, I think I wrote, um, you know, homo sapiens, you know, evolution, something Bitcoin, right? Like money and Bitcoin. And then the idea was like, you know, go back throughout history. And, you know, this has sort of been rehashed a million times now in the Bitcoin space, you know, history mm -hmm. of money, where we came from, why we needed, blah, blah, blah. But that that argument, like still to this day remains the most important one is you need to establish why. And I think what we did here is we didn't take that angle, obviously, the history of money angle. We just looked at, you know, what is wrong with collectivism? Uh, you know, what is wrong with politicking what is like i think one of my favorite things about the book was the the capitalism component which is hey let's let's define what capital is all right so if capital is time energy and scarce resources so that's sort of your base layer capital you know you could argue second layer capital is you know reputation ideas you know things like that you know and then so what's capitalism well hey it's the effective and efficient use of that stuff and how's that not a good thing and how's that not something that human beings have done since the beginning of time. So therefore, like capitalism isn't politics, it's it's a process. And if you sort of look at things from that lens, the, the whole argument shifts. It's no longer about communism versus capitalism. It's about politics versus, you know, organic economics. It's politics versus, you know, human cooperation. Uh, it's politics versus productivity. Um, and then, you know, when, when we've got that spectrum in there that's sort of placed on its side, uh, and, and I think they're, they're sort of pretty powerful insights. And I know, you know, that sort of stuff, it's essentially a rehash of what the great Austrian economists have discussed for years. But I guess the difference is, is this is digestible in 80 pages versus, you know, you can take human action on thousand pages. Good luck if you get through it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, case, case in point, I, I never could get through human action. Even, like I tried reading the book, I tried the audio book and I just, I couldn't get there. Um, and you know, even everything needs to be rehashed, if for no other reason. I mean, history is littered with the same ideas, whether it's in the realm of philosophy or theology or economics or anything, but they have to be recapitulated for the time and the context and the culture that they're that they are once again relevant within. You know, you mm -hmm. we we who have a greater grasp of how to communicate to our peers in this time and place, 
need to take those ideas that have lost their salience because they use a dis different language and they use different emphasis and they're, you know, whatever. And we have to extract the insight or the wisdom or the, the primary theme, truth, whatever, and explain it again in terms that have a greater salience for our time and place. And so I think it's a tremendous, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's a tremendous service, but it's 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 nothing to be looked down upon because it's it's equivalent to coming up with those concepts yourself. Insofar as if you didn't, they wouldn't be available for many for many other people to consider and therefore integrate mm -hmm. into their own perspective and benefit from. So I, I think it's a tremendous service. I want to read one because uh, you mentioned definitions and you you singled out capitalism. It's one of my favorite definitions in the book, but uh, it says, minus all the definitions projected on it, capitalism is just a natural process of taking resources, time, energy, matter, and turning them into something of higher order value. Its forcing functions are efficiency and effectiveness. Its corrective mechanism is loss and its positive feedback loop is growth. You know, it's like that cuts through so much of the the bullshit um, mudslinging and, and, you know, you know what what people get on with today in their critiques of capitalism that's just a very like it is it, it's very simple it is the way it is you can't really argue with anything here now of course they will because a lot of people are so ideologically possessed that they just can't help it but i just love how the book it it didn't have a lot of fat on it i guess is one way of putting it you know you guys didn't try to grind too much of an ideological axe despite the the name mm -hmm. of the the book you just tried to be as objective as possible and put forward objective logic in the realm of you know economics individualism politics to some degree thanks man yeah i think um i'm i am actually i'm pretty proud i guess of yeah how it came out so what was that the uh, Alex Jones experience like? <laughs> it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> we were um, we were in there, and I mean, obviously, he didn't have a chance to read it. He was busy with his own book about you know whatever the hell he's writing about now. And um, anyway, like they, they badgered us to come in there early, and man, I was like moving house that day. It was you know three days after my wedding. Like it was fucking pandemonium i was dropping wife off at the fucking airport like everything was happening that day and uh and then it fucking stormed like a rare austin storm like the roads were flooding and everything so anyway finally make it to this place and he's like all right we're running an hour and a half late and i was like you gotta be fucking kidding me bro i'm gonna kill you <laughs> um so anyway the, the place was like a bunker um and yeah sort of hour and a half two hours later we um we got on and we did it, you know, there, there were some good questions back and forth. And then kind of three quarters of the way through the uh, interview, he looks at us like, all right, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to go have a nap. You guys can finish the show. And like, this is sort of mid, mid fucking like, cause so every, every, you know, 10, 15 minutes, he takes like a couple minute break, like to sort of break up his, uh, his show. And then, you know, Mark and I just look at each other like, what the fuck? And he's like, you'll be fine. I'm, you know, he gets up and walks the fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> we looked at each other. We're like, this is kind of serious. Like, all right. So, you know, watching the, the, the countdown time down, like, you know, two minutes, one minute, et cetera. And we're kind of like talking back and forth. Like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? And actually, if you, if you go back and listen to the episode, you'll, you'll see like um, when the final ad roll finishes, you actually hear us going like, okay, you ready? All right, let's, let's do this. And it's like, all right. And we're back. And it's like, we sort of, take on the show hit the last 10 15 minutes whatever it was and um 
And yeah, it was, it was an experience. I bet. What what was Alex like off camera? If you had any FaceTime, he, you know, crazy he, man. He was warm. Like, yeah, no, he's re- really warm. Um, you know, sort of flustered all over the place. Um, built like a fucking French bulldog. Um, <laughs> you know, my 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 sister was there, so she got to meet him, and you know, that was funny. We you know, we we had a bit of a conversation. Um, so yeah, we 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 hung out afterwards for a little bit, but um, yeah. I think good guy, big heart, um, you know, n- nobody's perfect, obviously. He's got his own sort of problems to deal with and everything like that. I think he was going, he was right in the middle of like the Sandy Hook stuff, which I didn't even know what anything to do with Sandy Hook was. Like I had no idea. I just heard that word floating around. Um, so yeah, he, he was a bit all over the place with his new book and he was trying to, he had sold something like, you know, 20,000 copies um, on on sort of directly through his uh, platform. And he was trying to sign 20,000 copies of the book. And I'm like, <laughs> no worries, bro. Enjoy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, yeah, a, I think, did, it was a unique didn't, experience. Didn't, I bet. Didn't he, um, didn't they, um, I don't know how to phrase this, wasn't like the... Uh... The, the penalty against him in that case, like a billion dollars or something like that, or something he crept up there stupid, somehow. Yeah. 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 God knows what the fuck. Like they just like slung whatever they could sling at him. And I don't know if he had to go bankrupt or whatever, but anyway, what a, what a shit storm basically. I mean, look, whatever your views are on the guy, you got to hand it to him for being able to like, just put up with the onslaught of attacks that have been levied at him for, you know, the last however many years, 30, 40 years. You know, and some I mean, some the, more more legitimate than others, but I mean, he keeps going. The, the, He's convicted in something. He does, and th- there's that. And just the, the funny thing is, like, as much as he's a nut, like, I mean, the fact that fifty percent of the stuff that he said actually came out to be true is just well, that helps. You know, a lot. N- not only not only credit to him, but also just the, you know, just funny that that's the world we live in. That you know, Alex Jones was actually right. Like the the fact that that's the case just sort of shows you how far gone the world actually is. Yeah, totally. Um, I also read, well, I read some of the stuff you sent me, which, you know, for working on your forthcoming book, which uh, we can either discuss now or, or some other time, but I also read your, um, it was the same kind of point, or at least one, one of the points you made was similar to a piece. I think you wrote, was it December, 2022? It was kind of like a year in review of uh, the year in Bitcoin, something like that. Yeah. 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 Or my, yeah. And, and, you, and you put something out last week. I'm getting them all mixed up, but I read them all is the point. And yeah. uh, it, <laughs> it seems that you're somewhere along the lines, you had a fairly significant change in perspective on things, both in terms of your view of how Bitcoin is going to develop or play out, you know, how this, how this whole thing plays out. But also, you know, your way of approaching and showing up to whatever it is you want to call your role in this thing, you know, a, a writer, a speaker, a podcaster, a, you know, whatever, whatever you are. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's not uncommon for bear markets to facilitate these kind of self-reflection, these times of self-reflection where you kind of all the hoopla kind of gets quieted down and all the distractions get quieted down and you stop, you stop thinking about, you know, all the things you're going to have or the lifestyle you're going to have. And, you know, things get really quiet and you get quiet with yourself and you have to, you're whether or not you have to or not, but you're, you're given a lot of time. You have a lot of time to think, 
what do I really want to be doing here? What's actually meaningful to me? You know, self-assessment basically. And so it seems like that process has engendered some change in you. So maybe you can share with me what, um, how and why you've changed. Yeah, man, there's a, uh, I, 2022 was a rough year for me, sort of bear market aside, obviously that didn't help. Um, I had some interesting things from a, from a personal sort of life standpoint. Um, I think my, my propensity to, you know, speak before thinking um, kind of, you know, it helped develop an online persona for me that, you know, people expected, you know, Svetsky, the toxic one, you know, like sort of all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I, I leaned into that and, you know, I ended up, you know, with my position on COVID and politics and stuff like that, it, you know, it put, it put in danger the business that I'd spent years um, building basically. And sort of that, that sort of came to a head at the end of uh, 2021 and you know w without going into detail sort of i you know put put the it i was no longer able to be the head of basically the business that i founded um and mm. and that was like you know a big 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 shift for me because you know as much as people know me more as a writer or you know or a twitter personality like i've always been an entrepreneur I've built businesses, built teams, built products, um, you know, some successful, some not so successful. Like, you know, there's, there's one that a bunch of people know me from, which I was on Shark Tank for uh, back in, you know, 20, 2015, 2016. But it was it was a cool app. We built a recruitment automation app. And the whole point was we we're building um, personality profiling for people and trying to kind of like through a Tinder interface match people to roles based on who they are, not just the skills that they have. Um, but, you know, it was the first time I ever raised capital. You know, I was young. Um, first time I was ever building like a real tech product myself. Um, and also raising capital in Australia is a fucking shit show. Like it, it's it's not America. And that's why you, you have like three unicorns that came out of Australia and they're all debt-based products, you know. Um, so it's not like, you know, th there, there was some there was definitely some challenges, you know, it was a business that failed, but I spent two years building that, uh, taking no salary and putting all my savings in that, um, you know, and we, we didn't succeed in the end. And there was a, there was a shark tank appearance of me, which just looks really fucking bad when you watch the show, because, uh, like, man, <laughs> it was, it was funny. So this is a bit of a tangent. I don't know if you want me to go into it, yeah, but go for it. it was, it was hilarious. So, I I was in there for like an hour and something, like hour and ten minutes or whatever. Um, and I actually knew one of the one of the Shark Tank guys. He was a venture capitalist guy running an accelerator out of Brisbane, just up the road. And um, and anyway, like I thought Shark Tank would be a great, great way for us to get some publicity. Uh, we had already raised some money at a particular valuation, and you know we just went in there for the publicity and to top up. So. Beforehand, um, I'm speaking with the the um, the lady that's sort of organizing the day and everything, and she's like, "All right, so we pre-record the entry and the exit, and you know we want to get you saying something spicy. So how about like you're like a shark going into the shark tank?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know." And so so we scripted this stupid thing for me to say, and me like a dumbass, right? Thinking that, you know, this is going to be cool. I'm going on TV. You know, I said all this like arrogant sounding shit. <laughs> so like I got fucking served up and, you know, I walk into this place and, you know, of course, 
when I walk in, like you got to, you got to walk in, you got to stand there and like, look at the judges. Um, and then they fucked up something with the cameras. So they're like, up, oh, cut. All right. Send him back out. So like I had to do the whole fucking walk thing again. So it was like, started off like super awkward. That sounds horrible. Dude, it was, a, it was a shit show. And then, you know, we get into this thing. So I like talk through what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. You know, the idea is interesting. Um, and then I start, you know, getting the questions. And as I'm trying to answer questions, like the next one fucking cuts in. So I'm halfway through answering a question. The next judge, you know, shark uh, cuts in and the next one cuts in, the next one cuts in. And, you know, there was two of them that were just asking the dumbest possible questions, like the lady in the fucking red dress, um, whatever her name is. Uh, that does like she, her claim to fame and businesses that she built a, you know, a deals website or whatever. Um, asking me just like these dumb questions. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And then the guy that I knew, the, the, the venture capitalist dude from Brisbane who like, I saw him backstage. He's like, Oh, Alex, good to see you. Blah, blah, blah. He went straight into like his show mode and he's the character on the shark tank. That's the asshole. Right. Like so he Kevin just Larry starts like, sort of guy. Going, basically. And, and I'm like sitting here thinking, motherfucker, you were just being nice to me, you know, five minutes ago. Like now you're like being a cunt. So I was like, oh man. And it started dawning on me, you know, where this conversation was going. So then it just got heated and basically, obviously they didn't invest. Um, and then I didn't see anything from Shark Tank because the um, Channel 10, which is the company that, you know, runs Shark Tank actually went bankrupt. Um funnily enough, uh, from their great, you know, operation of a business. And, you know, they, they almost canned the show, but then like a year later or something like that, it came out and, you know, what came out was like the 18 minute cut. Right. So they cut out all the parts, um, and they just made me look like an absolute fucking monkey. Like I look like this arrogant shithead that came in trying to raise at a, you know, big valuation, you know, we only needed an extra 200 grand um, and we had raised at a eight mil vowel or something. So the percentages like looked really bad. So we were asking for 200 grand for something like 2% or something, so, you know, it, it sounded like really bad. And anyway, um, that was sort of, uh, yeah, that experience. Um, and I learned a lot from that experience, but anyway, I think the reason I, why did I mention that in the first place? Yeah, my, my history is entrepreneurial. So, and I have yeah. made mistakes and um, had, you know, some successes and some blow ups, but that's life. Um, so, anyway, fast forward to 2022. So, had this experience, um, you know, butted heads with, you know, the Australian regulators and, and the government and everything like that. So, I had to step away from that. And then had this sort of identity crisis in 2022. Like, what the fuck am I doing with myself? I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always built businesses. I can't even fucking run my own company now. Um, what do I do? And, you know, obviously the book was sort of one area to vent. Um, you know, I did some stuff with the Bitcoin times, you know, which we can have a chat about, mm -hmm. but, um, I think, you know, what ended up happening was I was just like frustrated, frustrated with, um, clown world, frustrated with, you know, nomading for three or four years and, you know, mask Nazis and all that sort of crap, you know, frustrated with the whole business situation, you know, frustrated with, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get visas and trying to, you know, figure out a place to stay and the amount of, you know, bending over and, you know, stupidity that you had to go through for that. And it, it certainly came out in Twitter. I think, you know, my 2022 Twitter was basically the way I kind of framed it in that article that I did, you know, 
at the end of 2022 or early or in January this year or whatever is that I was kind of like a a young dude pissed off at the world, you know, frustrated that I can't, you know, change it. Um, and a lot of that anger sort of came out in my my online persona. And I think people got the impression that I was just a dickhead um, that had nothing nice to say about anything. And um, and yeah, so that sort of dawned on me, you know, in December of this year, oh, sorry, of last year, I sort of sat down. I was like, man, what do I want? I've put so much like energy and effort like out into the world. I painted a, a target on my back, um, you know, made myself a sacrificial goat. You know, I've been fucking arrested on four airplanes for not wearing masks, like all, all this sort of shit mm. for what, what do I have to show for it? Like I actually went backwards financially. I went backwards in every fucking dimension that actually matters. Um, other than obviously my, my relationship. And I was like, fuck this shit, fuck Twitter. Fuck, you know, the whole toxic thing. Fuck the whole, um, you know, putting my neck out and, you know, saying all this crap, um, you know, like I just don't care anymore. So, um, yeah, I decided to just sort of go back to what originally got me attention on Twitter, which was like thought-provoking writing um, and ideas and, you know, sort of more educationally oriented um, and focus more on my my personal life, my health, my, my own finances, you know, I'm working on a new startup at the moment. So like, yeah, just kind of in my own lane, I just really don't give a fuck about the world and about, you know, all of the, the sort of the, the labels and the communities and the, whatever the fuck else is going on. Mm-hmm. Couldn't give, give a shit. Like, yeah. So it's so a big change in that. And it's been, it's been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of that resonates with me. You know, I, I've been increased more and more quiet on, on Twitter. I mean, now that Nostra has popped up, it's just a, it's just a better vibe. So I find myself uh, enjoying engaging there more. And, um, you know, so, so that's a little bit different, but I would always, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be about to send out a tweet and then I'd be like, this is, this just seems like a cheap, low hanging fruit shot. Like, of course the world is super fucked up. And of course there's a ton of retarded people doing retarded things everywhere. Is that worth, is that how I see myself as just another one in the chorus that points that out and goes, ha ha, you guys are fucking mm-hmm. morons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like, I don't want to be that person. That's not me getting the most out of myself. That's not me directing my attention to what's most meaningful. That's not me amplifying or building or contributing to what's more most meaningful or beautiful or truthful or whatever. And so I would, I'd find myself like being almost there and then be like, no, that's, that that's the wrong to use kind of a woo woo language, but that's the wrong energy, right? I don't want to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that. And, um, you know, and, and so you basically, if you don't have, it's not, a, it's not the old saying from your mom. Like if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But for me, it was like, if I don't have anything constructive, or positive or, you know, creative to say, why just be another one in the chorus calling out clown world? And the flip side of that is there is utility in the people that do that because that content reaches people that go, oh, really? I hadn't thought of it that way before. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't realize things were so absurd. And that can instigate their own journey on learning how crazy things are and changing their perspective, taking the red pill, taking the orange pill and on it goes. But I just felt for myself, like that's, that's not my game. I want to be involved in things that are just more positive, more constructive, more meaningful to me. And if, 
you know, if there's an audience for that, if people appreciate it or value it, then wonderful. And if they don't, then that's fine too. You know, I, I don't, I mean, I never did anything for like the numbers or the engagement or anything like that. But, but as you said, like there, especially over the COVID years, there's so much frustration that just builds up. Like part of coping with it is those like flare venting, outs. Yeah. That you, yeah, exactly. You're just venting. Yeah. You just point, you know, you're, you can't help, but, but point out how crazy things are just so people know you see it and, and, you know, you, you've, it's a helpless cry basically because it doesn't really do much but again you're you're venting you're coping in some way um and it's totally i think a lot of us can understand it because it, it was such a crazy time and in many cases you know although that particular circumstance has waned a little bit um you know there's still a ton of stuff worthy of being frustrated and outraged about in in clown world but again like to what to you know for, to what end and to what mm -hmm. cost as well. And I think we would all agree, like we've all been down that road of of doing that. And as you said, I mean, where does it leave you? Probably not where you want to be and not even in the, the direction that you want to go. But if you focus on totally. things that are meaningful and if you focus on, um, you know, winning in however you construe that, uh, then that's got to be a better use of time. And I think the, I think a lot of us are figuring that out. And the last thing I'll say about that is in your most recent piece, that's the one where you, you said basically Bitcoin adoption is going to ha happen more slowly than people think. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and this is something that we've talked about before. I focus on a lot, the process of being subject to or contributing to or engaging in a paradigm shift of this scale is that constant, like grinding forge of change that you have both subjected to yourself voluntarily and in many ways are experiencing on a subconscious level. And so like, I feel like these sort of ups and downs, these, um, you know, these periods of self-reflection where you end up having a fairly substantial change in your perspective and how you orient yourself and the things you're working towards. I think that's just par for the course and probably will be for a long time because we are coming from you and I and our generation were conditioned in like the height of fiat. Like we are products of fiat culture and we managed to stick our head up out of the pulpit and like look at the, you know, the blue sky or, or see through it. But it doesn't mean we're, we can just shake off all the conditioning that we've been subjected to and that we've, you know, taken on board and can, and used to construct our, our personality and our perspective and our beliefs and our philosophies. That's a, a much slower process and it takes engaging the world to figure out what ways in which we need to change that to be most fruitful or more, most conducive to the things that are that we want to achieve or are most meaningful to us. So I think as this process that you laid out in that piece uh, takes place, now who knows if you're right with the, the periods, but let's just say that it's we're obviously in a process of some kind. And I do think that, and I, the you talk, most of the, people I talk to on this podcast these days are just random Bitcoiners out in the wild. And the reason why I do it is because mm -hmm. I, I love to hear those stories. I love to hear people, whatever background, whatever they were dealing with, the more they go down the rabbit hole, the more, the more they find themselves like forging a new persona, forging a new identity and one that they deem to be far more, you know, competent and positive and hopeful and constructive and strong and courageous and all the th virtues that we would probably deem well, all the virtues that we would probably agree on, these are the things that they're using to reconstruct an identity and it's and and 
this process that they've put themselves in, i.e., you know, adopting Bitcoin and the global adoption of Bitcoin, uh, seems to be the the primary catalyst for that. And so, um, I think, I mean, one, I think it's great that you have the, you know, the strength or the courage or the humility to say like that you have changed your perspective on things and you you look back on some of your behavior and you think perhaps it wasn't, you know, the most productive uh, or the best use of your time. Because I think a lot of people right now are probably feeling a similar way. You know, there's a, a, a lot of frustration and a lot of bullshit and a lot of excitement and a lot of hoopla and just that toxic mix of all that within a fiat system and within a fiat mentality it's going to it's going to throw you off course a little bit i would say um and i i think uh, a lot of people as far as i can tell are going through this process of reflecting now and being like what is the thing that i want well who do i want to be and what is the thing i want to focus on most with my limited time and resources and how like and the rest i just want to cut out i want to cut out the noise i want to you know i don't want to engage in in all the clown world stuff i don't want to waste my time scrolling on twitter and seeing all the videos that are so super crazy like why what what is that doing for me and so yeah. i you know i think a lot of people are experiencing that right now it's funny i started like unfollowing and muting a lot of that stuff because sort of you know the, my 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 philosophy obviously was um you know in the beginning kind of rage against the machine so sort of 2020 and 21 was rebel uh, 2022 kind of morphed into, and I actively was one of the people saying this is like, you know, now's the time we ridicule these idiots into oblivion, right? And just ridicule, ridicule. And you sort of sort of saw the rise of the clown world accounts and all that sort of stuff. And we did, like, we effectively won the war through ridiculing the fuck out of all this stupidity. Um, you know, we, we won the meme war effectively. Um, but sort of, you know, the strategy now for me, at least, um, I don't know about others, but for me, it's kind of turned into just ignore now now it's like the the move on stage and you know the, the the ridiculing the problem with ridiculing is that it can get nasty it can get mean um and and for me kind of i i feel like a lot of the um you know i i really tried to say the right thing and the thing is even though i was ridiculing even though i was toxic and everything i was right about everything i said like I was one of the earliest ones to point out the COVID stupidity, you know, like a lot of the things I said were right, but, you know, maybe the the way I said them was, you know, abrasive or toxic or provocative or whatever, right? Um, and, you know, you do that because one, out of frustration and two, because sometimes you just need to fucking shake people to say mm -hmm. like, no, like th this, this is what it is. Um, you need to sort of shock people into, um, into looking at something, but when I look back on it and say, all right, so I stuck my neck out, you know, I said all these things, you know, I made myself a target you know, I painted a, you know, painted a big red fucking thing on my back, um, you know, being a public figure. Um, what did I get for it? Like, you know, towards the end of 2022, I had Bitcoiners telling me that uh, I'm a scammer, that I'm a fucking, you know, uh, what is it like, a, you know, a fake Bitcoiner because like I lost the, you know, debate to Richard Hart or whatever. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like sort of like all of the shit that I put myself out for, like I got a bunch of like fucking hate from even in the Bitcoin community. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, it's just, it's not worth it. It's not mm -hmm. worth the energy. It's not worth the, um, the time. And, and that was sort of, you know, at least to some degree, I'm thankful for that because that sort of pushed me away from, uh, 
it kind of, you know, maybe in a way it actually was my catalyst to to sort of drop the the ridicule stage and change my strategy to ignorance stage because now I'm just not interested. And as you said, like when when you when you do that and you move away from the noise um and you 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 cut that out, like life is so much more peaceful. Like I got I just blocked a shitload of people. Um, you know, I just like cut that out of my fucking mental system like i exited a bunch of telegram groups like all that sort of stuff like i just cleaned up and it felt so fucking good man i can't even tell you like <laughs> you know there, there was I, I remember there was this one dude like trying to you know I've, I've got like a bunch of youtube playlists and one of my youtube playlists had um videos a series of videos from yuval harari and you know five years ago I was interested in that guy's work because I thought Sapiens was a good book. You know, like I, I was following him until obviously COVID and everything happened and you saw, you know, what Bugman was really about. And, you know, this guy's sort of saying, you know, I remember like there was this whole, you know, it was like a, you know, classic Twitter fiasco, you know, that sort of lights up for 24 or 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, you know, Alex is like a world economic forum guy. You know, he's on the side of Yuval Harari fake big. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, like, what in the fuck? And, you know, they sort of pointed out that and then they found like me referencing him in a previous article and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you know, here's proof, the gotcha. I was like, okay, bro, like, no worries. Like, you know, all of the other stuff is irrelevant, you know, but that's that's apparently relevant. So, yeah, I, I just figured, you know, I, I underappreciated privacy and I underappreciated how fickle you know just people in general are um mm. and i don't know it as, as you said like quality over quantity and that's sort of become my mantra like i'm i'm really not interested like for me now like i'm way quicker to block way quicker to ignore way quicker to mute um because my 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 time my energy is just it's more valuable i'd rather spend it with my gorgeous wife on the fucking beach Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather go with her to fucking CrossFit. I'd rather write another article. I'd rather work on the new startup. You know, I'd rather add a little bit to my book, like way more. And, you know, when I, it's, it's weird. I've, I've had such a, even social media fatigue, man. Like I, I can't get into Nasta. I can't get into like, I, I can't, uh, you know, I bought some, um, thread writing stuff for, for, um, for Twitter. Cause I was, you know, planning that this year I was going to just write threads and all that sort of stuff. I just don't give a fuck. Like I <laughs> seriously just don't care. Like it's just so, so meaningless to me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's why I sort of killed my podcast as well. Cause I just, you know, I'm sort of done. Like I don't really care about getting out there and, you know, doing all of that stuff anymore. Like, I don't know. I got like, it, it's, it's, it's a bit, a big, big, big sort of change for me. And yeah. it just feels really good. Well, I mean, this will come as no surprise because I know we line up on a, on a lot of things, but um, you know, I feel very similarly. And I think a lot of people probably do too. And, you know, probably a confluence of reasons, right? I mean, bear markets always kind of refocus people like what's important. There's not as much loose money, loose attention, you know, events and stuff dragging you this way and that, you know, so you have to, you have more time to determine what you want to focus on. And, um, and then there's also like, first of all, I totally agree. And, and I, I had been, getting that social media fatigue for a long time because I don't care about followers or clout or notoriety or anything like that. And 
you know, if you don't, if you really don't care about that, how, and I also like, I, I don't necessarily presume that people want to know every little thought that pops into my head, even if it's like somewhat insightful. So it's like, if you put those two things together, you're probably not going to be tweeting very much. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, Elon took over Twitter. I love it. More free speech, less censorship, but the experience is also different and it's, it's you know, so much worse. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. It's actually worse. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and, and that kind of sucks because I think he did a good thing, you know, whatever your opinions on Elon are, but uh, information can obviously be published more freely on, on Twitter now, but whatever he did, you know, made it a less engaging experience for the other aspects of that platform that, that we all probably found valuable. Um, you know, so there, there, there's all these factors that, that go into this stuff. And, and I think like, I wouldn't be, and I don't think you are, but just broadly speaking, like, I think it's good not to be it's good to reflect and make adjustments, but not be too harsh on past behavior because you were interfacing with a different time and context also, right? Right. It's, it's, it's not even logical to go back with your current perspective and place it within mm -hmm. that context mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's not how you would have been thinking, you know, that the circumstance drives a lot of your emotions and your thoughts and your ambitions and things you find meaningful. So, you know, I think it's good to go back and reflect and reorient but not necessarily, you know, have too much uh, regret or guilt or anything associated with past behavior, of course, unless it's like really egregious and you're a piece of shit, basically. But, you know, it's a different story. Um, <laughs> also, man, you know, the other thing, speaking about fatigue, um, as the Twitter files drop and as there's more free speech and like, I'm glad that it seems like the COVID stuff is falling apart and more truth is getting out. Like, that's all wonderful and i kind of assumed it would eventually now maybe it maybe it will never to the to the extent that i would hope it does but obviously people are able to discuss uh so-called conspiracy theories more freely now than mm -hmm. they were before and 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 that's great but this obsession with the the enemies like especially in bitcoin land like you said that you know you someone took you to task for like the world economic forum stuff like I just don't, I so don't care about those people at all because it's, sure, I know they're powerful and they're influential and maybe they're doing things to try to fuck up things that I deem to be important and, and meaningful and that I want to have in the world. But I don't see how me caring about them changes that. To your point, like the thing, the, the, the best thing that I think I can do is engage in the things that make me the strongest, the happiest the most fulfilled, engage in things that are most meaningful and try to figure out what's most valuable, uh, valuable about what I can do that I can contribute to something. And that in itself is the process of fighting back against that stuff, not finding someone's name on a website and being like, you're a shill, you're a two-faced, you're a spook or something like that. Like if anything, that's probably counterproductive because then mm -hmm. that sort of reactionary approach can be weaponized by people that actually want to stir the pot or execute a psyop or something like that and so you know sailor has been off to use this phrase and it you know uh it's not perfectly apt here but you know he often says don't be a martyr be a winner and that's that kind of came to mind when you were saying what you did because mm -hmm. you know in, in in 2022 perhaps or leading up to that and or you know these airplane arrests and that kind of stuff i mean you were taking a stand for what you thought was wrong and i have a ton of respect for that but to what you know, at what cost, uh, you know, would you, would you rather have, or moving forward, instead of fighting those small battles where there's not really anything to truly gain, would you rather 
hold your capacity and strength back and deploy it where you can have the greatest effect, both for yourself and perhaps outwardly, and do that. And in mm -hmm. if we all do that, isn't that the way that we build the circular economy? Isn't that the way we obsolete the bad tech, the bad bureaucracies, the bad people? Like, isn't that the way it's done? Not not fighting these highly contentious battles and and stirring up all this tension everywhere we where we might be we might find something that's counter to our own you know philosophy or perspective on things yeah i mean look may, maybe there's something to be said for like thinking of it through the the lens of war right like so th there's a time when you need to be a soldier on the battlefront and you know maybe that is you know, arguing with someone at the airport or getting arrested on an airplane or something like that. Um, but then there's a time when you sort of like move to, you know, uh, I don't know, lieutenant and then, you know, colonel and then general, right? Like you sort of, you move up and then you you fight a bigger battle, um, as you said, or you fight, you know, you fight more strategically and less tactically. And, you know, may maybe it's just the rite of passage that we have to go through. And so that way we remember it's like, you know, what this cost me or what I had to do to sort of stand up for what I believe in, et cetera, et cetera. So as you said before, you know, maybe not being too critical of that stuff uh, is important, but it's like taking taking at least the energy and the spirit of, you know, or, or the essence of what that um, pushback was and then just playing a higher game. And, you mm -hmm. know, Sailor is someone who does this very well. He's very, 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 very strategic. He's not tactical. Um, and you know, what I was playing was a tactical game and, you know, young, stupid, full of energy. Um, you know, maybe I had to play the tactical game for a little while, um, until I kind of realized that, Hey, all right, uh, my stripes, you know, I got a few battle scars and now it's time to do something uh, more strategic. And like the couple of the things that I'm working on now are way more fucking strategic and they're going to be way more meaningful in fighting the broader battle. Um, but I ain't going to be doing it from, you know, 160 characters on Twitter or mm. whatever, like thousand characters, Elon Musk fucked up Twitter with now, you know, like, um, ain't going to happen there. Like I'm going to do it far more, uh, selectively and yeah, just to harp on the word strategically. So yeah, I think to your point, like the, the, the battle has to be fought at multiple levels and you know, I'm, I'm just choosing a different, different game to play now. I think you mentioned in, in that piece or one of them that, you know, you, and this is consistent with what you just said, but that your focus now is more on quality perhaps, or at least that's, you know, something that's become more elevated in terms of what drives or, or determines your projects or actions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, I totally agree with that. You, it's not uncommon for like a year to have a theme for me at the beginning. Like it's just, I, I write a, a several page letter to myself every like January 2nd, let's say. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually it emerges in that. And the one this year was, and this will sound somewhat corny, but it is what it is, uh, was beauty. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's the theme for the year. And and I've I've been finding myself anytime I get dragged into clown world stuff, that is a good thing to reorient myself it's like is this beautiful is it you know is this the kind of thing you want to no it's not yeah. what else in your you know vicinity what else that you can focus on what else that you can work on you know has the capacity to be beautiful or is you know is inspiring in, in some way or is in that general neighborhood and um 
you know, it's beauty's hard to argue with too. And and this is one of the things that you've touched on a little bit in in the past, and people have also taken a little bit of issue with is the notion that uh, beauty is not subjective. Now, I mean, there's an yeah. an easy kind of like perspectival way to discredit that and just say, well, you're only one individual perceiving being. So anything that you perceive is subjective in that sense. But um, I, I think I like your points. And I think in, in today's dialogue around that subject, or everything has become subjective and, and relativistic, right? In, in clown world, right? So there is no truth. And there is no beauty. And, you know, so there's there's nothing, basically. There's just chaos. There is no order. And that's actually part of the, the point you make is that, you know, we tend to, what inspires us with that sense of beauty or, or when we find things that are, you know, of profound symmetry and integrity with all other systems that we are nestled within, most of which we we have no way of perceiving, but that's what, that's what beautiful things do. They condense mm -hmm. down those, those patterns within patterns, within patterns, and they just show up as one thing. And you just, you're awestruck by them or your, your, your mind goes blank as a result of, of witnessing them. And um, so all that just to say, I mean, I think that's a far for me at least. And for this year, it's been helpful to bring me back on a more productive course when I, when I start kind of going off course in focusing on that particular thing, like, is this, is this a, is this a beautiful endeavor? Is this a beautiful way to devote your attention? Is this a beautiful thing that, you know, you should be giving access to your consciousness and your perspective? Cause that's what you're doing when you're sending your attention all down, all these threads, streams, whatever, or do you want to redirect your attention to something beautiful and how might that orient your behavior better? And I think the answer is, a lot, a lot better. It's, it's way more effective. Pardon the pun, but that's that's beautiful. <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> the the um, I, I still stand by it. So I think you might be referencing the tweet that I did last year, which was the bush pig tweet. Uh, which, well, I, only because yeah. I read it in in you referenced it in one of the recent articles. Oh, I can't remember yeah, which okay, one. I did. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I I did forget that I did that. All right. So yeah, my, my bush pig tweet. And the thing is, like, th this is what I said earlier. It's like my tweet's actually accurate, but it's just not delivered very nicely, right? <laughs> it was delivered very brutally. Um, you know, the, the the context behind that was actually I had just gone through um. Uh, an immigration process where I wanted to strangle someone um, and like I was already angry and then I saw a dumb tweet from somebody like one of these sort of trad masculine guys saying that you know uh, beauty in your partner like in your wife is like a low priority like it doesn't matter and I was like get the fuck out of here like beauty is so important like and I don't care what anyone says like you know you you want to like Beauty is actually, you know, representative of so much more, as you said, symmetry, harmony, uh, health, like all of these sorts of things. And like to sort of, um, you know, to me, that was just like when I read that tweet, it was like uh, I could smell cope coming through, coming through the thing. So like, you know, we're sort of driving through and, you know, my, you know, classic Twitter, like tirade message. I was like, all right, fuck you. And then like the, the, the bush pig uh, comment came out. And there was there was a section in that which was about obviously passing on superior genes. And I meant that as like, you know, what you should do is you should find like if you're a man, you know, the you're duty bound to find a woman with extraordinary genes so that you can increase the um the likelihood of you know success and uh you know beauty for your children. 
Um, because I, you know, as much as people might not like to admit this, like beauty does help. Um, you know, it comes with its own costs. Like, for example, my wife, you know, she has she gets so much envy from people. Like, and she's grown up like that because she's just naturally fucking gorgeous. She's naturally symmetric. She's naturally she's got all the sort of the, the beautiful attributes. And you know, the 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 downside of that is, you know, people sort of treat you differently. You know, they you know they try and like. Like she, she, she has a lot of trouble with other women because other women are always like trying to, you know, uh, hurt her or do something in other ways because they're sort of jealous of her in some sense. But anyway, like at the end of the day, irrespective of those costs, I think it's still better to be, um, you know, to pursue beauty and to be beautiful in some sense. So anyway, the, when I said that, then obviously, you know, half of Twitter sort of lost their minds and they're like, oh, you know, fucking jeans and you're a fucking midget and you know what the fuck are you talking about about jeans for and everything like that not like they missed the point like i know i'm fucking short i don't have fucking great jeans so i like i married you know i married a fucking woman that has better physical jeans than i do i have the fucking brain bring us together and you know we're gonna have um we're gonna have great babies but anyway like coming back to your um to your point about uh beauty it's it's fundamentally not subjective it is really not subjective, and I think this is this is something that a lot of the uh, the libertarian, you know, Bitcoiner individualist sort of groups miss out on. Um, and and it's actually no wonder why a lot of libertarian people are actually like fucking fat, you know, basement dwelling keyboard there, warriors. There he is. He's back. Okay, I'm back. All right. <laughs> but like. You, you you have a lot of that sort of class of um of people who will go and try and make a philosophical argument for beauty being completely subjective just because they worked out that value is subjective um and they'll try and lump it in the same place but i'm sorry there is actually objective things in the universe um you know there is things that are harmonic there's you know like music is objectively sounds good you know because it's got you know eight octaves like there is things that whether we can explain it or not exist um you know when you look at a sunset you know when you look at the mountains you know when you look at the sort of the earth and that sort of pale blue dot you know or effect like there are things that exist that um that transcend subjective valuations and the whole fucking libertarian um ethos of like you know nothing has um objective value or whatever and you know, beauty is one of those things. And, um, and I'll stand by that. I, I couldn't care less, um, you know, what people say, but I, I actually, the, one of the funny things here is that I had a debate with a girl in fucking Brazil, like over, um, over text. Uh, and this was like sort of years ago, um, about this subjective nature of beauty. And she actually stumped me because I was like full on in my libertarian zone. Like, you know, I was doing podcasts at that time with like, you know, Kinsella and all these people. And, you know, she asked me, is beauty objective or subjective? And I was like, of course, everything's subjective, you know, like uh, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of made this whole, you know, classic uh, anarcho-capitalist sort of argument of um, why beauty is subjective. And she's like, yeah, nah, I don't agree with you. Um, I think beauty is both subjective and objective. There's subjective mm. elements to it, but there's a sort of higher order objectivity to beauty. And, you know, she she explained a few examples. I can't remember them now. It was a couple of years ago, but that sort of stuck with me. I was like, fuck, there's, you know, I'm actually wrong. And from that point on, like I sort of 
you know, my, my thinking around that changed. And, you know, the more mature I've become, the more I've like, particularly when I've read history and things like stories of the greats and of the, you know, of the people who've moved the world and changed the world, like sort of, you know, reading some Nietzsche and the great man theory of, you know, history and all that sort of stuff, you come to realize that things like beauty, you know, transcend, uh, you know, the, the chaos of the mundane and there's, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's something to be, to be learned from that. And, you know, would the current Alex say it differently? Uh, yes. Um, but anyway, it had, had to be said at the time. Uh, and <laughs> but you know, it's, tweet. <laughs> it's a very interesting topic and, you know, one that I've been thinking and writing a lot about, but I mean, part of it, part of the debate around it would just be like a matter of definition, right? And that's just, that's not an interesting debate, but I think everything is experienced subjectively, right? So for, from that perspective, yes, you can call everything subjective, but the the results or the things that manifest in the world obviously are have a difference in quality, right? As you said, things mm -hmm. can be more harmonious. They can be harmoniously productive. So you can get flourishing, let's say, or they can be destructive. They can be degrading. They can be disintegrating. They can, they can cause breakdown. And um, it almost seems like, you know, and, and this is kind of the irony is that a lot of these, you know, libertarian people, if we're going with this kind of stereotype is that they would equally rail against this like kind of general moral relativism that's you know happening in the world today they yeah. would say that's yeah. bad but they themselves are kind of taking the same position because they're saying that everything is subjective and there are no absolutes right there are no mm -hmm. absolute truths and then if you you look at like well what do those perspectives produce in the world um as you say like that'll show up in your body that'll show up in your family that'll show up in your intellect your way you articulate yourself what you're able to build in terms of a life the community the community that you're a part of and this is actually one of the things that lends itself to the argument for let let's just say like a, a traditional faith what does uh, acting as if an absolute truth does exist in mm -hmm. the form of what you might call god or any other label you put on it what is that produce in this reality, right? What does that set of, what, what are those parameters elicit? And, you know, again, we, people will split hairs on this because much has been much uh, bad and, and tragic things have uh, arisen in the name of religious faith. But on an individual level, it seems like it produces things that are in harmony with something, right? Because they're able to be built in a manner that's strong, that's cohesive, that's generative, that's harmonious that's you know all those good things and that's apparent when you when you meet these people or these communities or whatever and again like with, this is a long discussion if we really wanted to to tease apart all the nuance but just to say i mean i think uh the notion that there is something in the realm of truth in the realm of beauty that coherence with or at least appreciation of generates outcomes of like kind or beneficial outcomes, whereas rejection of or ignorance of generates the opposite. And so does that not suggest that there is something more mm -hmm. than just your 
subjective opinion on a given thing. Like you can still reject something that's beautiful, but that doesn't mean it's not beautiful. That that would be the yeah. case, that would be the argument in, in in such a circumstance. Like you can reject truth. That doesn't mean it's not true. It just means mm -hmm. you suffer the consequences of rejecting it. Correct. And um, you know, I, I think uh well that's a discussion that should probably be had in greater detail or written about more because I mean, I think that touches on the religious domain. It touches on beauty. It touches on economics. It touches on value, and uh, you know, it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't get that much um, press in in the age of like the left ultra relativistic stuff, and in in the right ultra individualistic stuff. Where again, in 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 neither case is there really any absolute truth, or at least the the appreciation of or or recognition of absolute truth, should it exist. Yeah, yeah. You, you, as you were describing that, I thought of like you know this idea of you know you're 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 free to be fat if you want to, like for example, but don't tell me that it's beautiful, you know, mm -hmm. or virtuous or anything like that. You know, you're 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 free to you know paint your fucking house polka dot colors and rainbows and all that sort of stuff but don't tell me that that's beautiful you know like you're free to make a piece of art that's a fucking banana with a sticky tape on it um but don't try and make the argument that it's beautiful like so mm. all, all you know and you know that that's so spot on like you know your your subjective interpretation of uh what you think is beautiful or not is sort of irrelevant um you know the other the, the other thing i think of a lot is in this context is um like churches you know, like mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. massive ornate yeah. churches and people, you know, a lot of secular people will go into them and, you know, it'll, it'll they'll be awe inspiring something. in some way. They'll mm -hmm. feel something and they'll respect it. But, you know, it's like, why is that so awe inspiring? Why does that conjure up those emotions? Why is it, it why, you know, why was so much work devoted to doing them? And also what has been brought to bear to put that together? And again, in line of the thinking we were just talking about, like I think at least an element of that, because I'm sure there's many, is think of the mathematics and the architecture and the mm -hmm. geometry and the detail, like all the other disciplines, all the other knowledge that has converged to allow this thing to manifest, to be built. And all of that stuff like, is necessarily tethered to physical laws, patterns that were were embedded within right like truths things that like gravity and and math like and geometry and math and and you know like all these things that we've had to figure out how they work mm -hmm. and then the these 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 buildings are representations of like the height of oh, our ability yeah. to totally. to weave something in between those let's call them absolute truths and then if we can be successful in doing that then we stand back from it and go like, wow, like we've That's just, beautiful. we've just yeah. brought together so many forces to allow this thing to exist. And it is almost uh, always awe-inspiring, you know, if you have uh, yeah, any sort of sensibility whatsoever. Yeah. You're literally describing harmony there. Like that, yeah, that is, yeah, exactly. that is that, exactly. yeah, you're, you're, the bringing together of things so that they fit is a harmony of, of sorts. And yeah, that's, that's essentially, you know, the, the best, version of you know the the best kind of like uh you know raw definition of beauty that i can think of is that you know that thing that is harmony that you know things coming together they fit and they they just they 
I don't know. They fit. There's there's no yeah. better word to sort of describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether it's beauty or truth, like perhaps, you know, a possible definition is the things that foster the greatest harmony, right? So it, mm-hmm. as your example in music, like when you play the notes and the frequencies that they all, they're contained therein and all that kind of stuff, proper, properly, you get a harmony. When a family or a community is oriented by a particular truth, you get flourishing you get a harmony between Mm -hmm. its members and all that kind of stuff and the same is true for a building you know when you bring together the knowledge of of all the forces that it's acting within you get you have the potential to get a harmony you know so perhaps harmony and beauty is simply the result of properly navigating the forces that you're subjected to and and bringing them together in in the truest form. Yeah, like appreciate the truest form. Recognizing and appreciating the truth of the forces that you're subject mm-hmm. to and then manipulating mm-hmm. the world to yeah. that recognizes that. And I think that's part of the reason why we say in, in something like a church, we're glorifying God, you know, the all-encompassing, all those forces all-encompassed, because it is that. It is it is recognizing that those are the forces that exist and we're we're spending our time and resources to try to showcase you know something about them in our building of that and that's 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 glorifying them in some way totally totally and i mean that that extends obviously to ideas to written work right, to right. visuals um to i mean down to like you know, the way you construct your body, right? Like, you know, to to go like, I mean, you have your two different examples, right? You've got, I always use that meme of the Indian fake bodybuilder who pumped his muscles up full of synthol, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that's not, you you can tell that's not beautiful, right? Because it's like, it's out of proportion. It's all messed up. And then you sort of have the other spectrum is like people, you know, and we see this a lot on Twitter and everything is like, you've got these fat slobs, that are you know on cover magazines now it's like i'm sorry but that's just it's disgusting it's not beautiful yeah um you know versus you know someone who's put the work in to you know shape their body to look good and you know i i guess you know without going down this rabbit hole too much but you know women and men are different in this case it's like men have to construct themselves whereas women are born uh largely um you know, with their assets and yes, they have to take care of themselves and do all that sort of stuff. But, you know, women have a different genetic predisposition than men do. And we have mm-hmm. to construct ourselves. So like, you know, I get up fucking every morning, go and bust my ass at the gym so that I am not a fucking fat slob or, you know, unfit or, you know, have a gut or whatever like that, because, you know, there's, there's something to say about aesthetics. And then, as you said, all the stuff that goes in behind that, to kind of produce something of, you know, of beauty and everything is a uh, submission to higher truths, as you said, like, yeah. you know, they're, they're, it's, it's a submission to, you know, the maybe perhaps the greatest truth of all proof of work, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to work at something to, to produce something of beauty. Yeah. I think that's well said. And the only other thing I will say, hopefully uh, is as a, not as a counter argument to this, but as I think, legitimate nuance is as you mentioned in so much your writing i mean hierarchies develop anywhere where there is value or meaning right it's just inevitable it's how consciousness works basically it's how human societies organize all that kind of stuff and so an interesting question might be 
what is the hierarchy of beauty? So we could say, and, and none of these are separate, uh, separable, right? They're, they're all inseparable, but let's just say, you know, you might say, wow, that you see a woman on the beach and she's a 10 out of 10 physiologically, but to what degree does in your, if you come to know that person or come to know another person, you perceive a tremendous beauty in their soul, let's say, in just how they show up in life and how, you know, whoever, whoever they are, like whatever your metrics are, you know, whether it's compassion, empathy, love, all that kind of stuff. And you perceive a beauty of that kind. And then, you know, a question is, is like, well, which beauty is higher up on the hierarchy? And, you know, we might say, well, that's up to each person to decide. But in line with this discussion we've been having, it's like, well, is there an actual prop, so-called proper place in the hierarchy for those different forms of beauty? You know, because just as a, a body or a church is molded by, let's say, those those truths that we've been discussing, so too would be one's character and their consciousness and how they're able to form that and 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 leverage it and express it into the world. I mean, that is also still subject to all these invisible absolute forces, let's say. And so which one is which one is more important or which one is more valuable in the end? And maybe it's the case that it's, you know, I think a lot of people would probably say this. It's not the um it's not the physiological beauty. It's the, it's the, it's the spirit. It's the personality. It's the character, and that would somewhat counter what we were saying before. Although, I don't well, think it that... doesn't. It doesn't counter. I think they're all they're all intertwined, right? Right. Because exactly, exactly. like, and so so there's there's not only the the hierarchy, but generally, um, they're they're indicators of each other, right? So yeah, sure, I've I've dated hot chicks that have fucking two brain cells um, and that have the personality of a fucking, you know, a park bench. Right. And did I marry them? Hell no. Like, so, so there's like, you know, the, these things generally sort of, uh, you know, so, so that's actually a, an example of, um, of uh, the hierarchy piece. But then what I've also found is that, most people who, um, and, and again, this is a heuristic, it's not true all of the time, but, you know, as with all heuristics, but people who generally put the effort in to look a certain way physically um, and actually put the work in, I'm not saying like shoot themselves with a fucking makeup gun, um, but actually put the work in to do, to do some work. Um, that generally says something about the kind of character or inner beauty they have mm-hmm. uh, as well. And, you know, so, so when I talk about that sort of stuff, that that's sort of what I mean. And, um, you know, often the, the, the physical is an indicator and, you know, Nietzsche talks about this is like, you know, one of the modern fallacies is the sort of separation of, um, the mind and the body as mm. if they, you know, evolve separately. It's like, well, mm-hmm. no, I'm fucking sorry. They didn't like that. The mind and the body are inextricably linked. Like what makes us human is that we have a hand and we have these eyes that, you know, a feedback loops to the brain. Um, and, you know, and sort of Spengler talks about this uh, in, in depth in his book, Man and Technics, which is one of the best, like it's one of those short reads that'll like blow your mind. And, you know, he just sort of says like the the eyes are what allow us to perceive the world. Um, and, you know, we have predator eyes, like our eyes are put on the front of our head. They're not on the side like fucking herbivores, um, which, are, which is prey, right? So we have predator eyes. And we have this appendage called the hand, which is unique in the animal kingdom to such a degree that we can actually manipulate space uh, to, to a far greater dexterity 
uh, and uh, complexity than any other species on the planet can do. Um, and you sort of combine those, you have this unique feedback loop to the brain that is, you know, arguably where someone like Spengler says, um, you know, at least our level of intelligence was able to sort of develop from. So anyway, what, what I'm trying to say with that is that, um, you know, physical beauty does have a relationship to, you know, inner beauty, soulful beauty, you know, intellectual beauty and all, all this sort of stuff that there, there is something there. All right. So we, we, we should probably close it down soon, but there's, there's two things I wanted to, uh, to bring up. Yep. Um, right. So in, in your article about the kind of preparing oneself for this whole Bitcoin paradigm shift to take longer than, you know, some of its proponents might like, um, you mentioned a couple things. One is the tinkering with Bitcoin, you know, and this is kind of an ever present discussion debate, like how much should we tinker with this thing? And I, I think from, to my, in my opinion, there's really not enough discussion on, on that topic. You know, it seems to be the case that, you know, technically proficient people, core developers, whatever, come up and say, Hey, like, look, the, we can make Bitcoin do this, you know, wouldn't that be great? And then, you know, people go, yeah, that would be cool. That, you know, let's, let's do that. Or yeah, that would be cool, but let's not do it because, and there's no real, like, there's no real discussion about like how we should be looking at changes to this thing. And to what degree does the frequency of changes create, you know, attack vectors in the future. And also, and to, to the point from your article or, or, you know, what your article made me think about is like, how much patience should we be having? You know, because you, mm -hmm. you you often hear the the comment like, well, if we're gonna if we want Bitcoin to be adopted by more people, you know, it it has to act differently. You know, it has to do X, Y, and Z to appeal to, you know, whatever demographic. Um, and then so it's like, oh well, we need to build that into Bitcoin so that it can appeal to them. But it's like, well, how do we know that? How how do we know it's not mm -hmm. just a matter of time? How do we know it's not just to your point? A generational thing like there's just it doesn't matter what you make it do a certain portion of people probably a big portion are not going to be interested right now and they probably won't be interested in 10 years maybe in 20 years they will in 30 years they almost certainly will but you know so it, it made me think of that point of or the 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 insufficient discourse in my opinion about how we should be looking at the development of, of Bitcoin and how we make changes to it. You know, I think everyone would agree if there's anything catastrophic happening that needs to be fixed, a bug or whatever, absolutely, that, that takes priority. But how should we be prioritizing and thinking about changes that are not mission critical, that are just nice to have? And to what yeah. and what are the trade-offs when we actually decide to make those changes? Yeah. So so there's two two things I want to sort of point out there. One is you mentioned the um kind of the measures, right? And and one that I hear get getting thrown a lot thrown around a lot is like, oh, you know, you look at um how many developers there are in the Bitcoin ecosystem versus like the Ethereum one. That's like so like congratulations, bro. Like you got more devs. Doesn't mean shit. I'm sorry. But like, you know, Bitcoin's not a it's not a software platform. You know, it's not a it's not a virtual machine to sort of build ICOs and crap off. Like it's it's like you, you, people are trying to apply these, you know, strange measures. It's like, it's, it's almost like saying, um, you know, my, my, my concrete has more nutrients. Uh, so it has, you know, 
like sorry my, my food has more nutrients than your concrete so, right okay i'm sure it does bro but like it doesn't matter like mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a different thing and this is why i sort of i laid out the article in the beginning with like okay bitcoin's not a it's not an app it's not a smartphone it's not a computer it's not a website it's not a product or a service you know it's 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 none of these things it's a it's it's not a technology so stop trying to like uh, project these technological adoption curves on it. It's like, oh yeah, Bitcoin's been around for 15 years and you know nothing's happened. It's like, well, no, something has happened, but you know, Bitcoin's is sort of socioeconomic, technological, like it's all these things sort of wrapped into one. And you know, when you think about it, like what what we're asking people to do all around the world is trust their fucking wealth, man, with something that they don't understand. Like, and just giving it more features doesn't mean more people are going to understand it. Like if you can do uh, conditional, you know, uh, covenant based transactions on Bitcoin, do you think that's going to make my mom like put all her wealth in it? Get the fuck mm-hmm. out of here, bro. Like, no, it's, it's no, no way in hell. Like, so, so anyway, to, to, to sort of what you said, like, you know, Bitcoin's just going to, you know, it's number one actual <laughs> feature is actually the unchangeableness of it so you know what 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 it benefits from is you know more time in which it doesn't change and it you know maintains sort of the promise and the narrative that has sort of got it to this stage and you know at some point as the rest of the world deteriorates you know people will sort of start to change the lens through which they view bitcoin as not uh, internet funny money, but as sound money. And that, that I just don't think we can speed up. There's no technical innovation that can speed up Bitcoin's perception by the world as sound money. Um, you can't change 5,000 years of conditioning, uh, with some, you know, technical upgrades. It's just not going to work. And uh, like, you know, I, I, I wasn't this harsh in the, um, in the article, I was trying to be more pragmatic uh and trying to think of it generationally but I honestly think like that sort of dawned on me i was you know i was at satoshi roundtable um a couple of weeks ago and you know some of the talk was like driving me crazy it's like oh you know we have to do this you know we have to do that uh you know it's like sort of as if like bitcoin's under some existential threat tomorrow of ethereum eclipsing it <laughs> I'm like bro come on mm-hmm. like that there's 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 nothing going wrong at the moment and like the drive chain stuff like kind of annoys me and like i'm not i'm not involved enough to understand all of the intricacies of why you know drive chain is better and all of the stuff that it's going to enable bitcoin to do but you know i remember like having a discussion with someone and, and they sort of said like you know drive chain is a better form of liquid you know and you know liquid obviously sucks um you know no one's using it and i said thank you you just proved the point no one's using liquid because you can do everything you can do like that drive chain does, but newsflash, no one gives a shit. Mm. So if we're going to go and like do all this stuff to Bitcoin um, and build, you know, a bunch of extra features into it and no one's going to give a shit, then I'm sorry. It's just, you know, it's a moot point. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the point I'm getting at, right? Like to what extent do our expectations for this phenomenon, the speed of it, what it looks like, you know, all that kind of stuff cause us to be insufficiently humble in relation to this supposed absolute, 
right? And again, I mean, we, we would kind of wind up the, the same structure, I think, uh, is evident in many different places, perhaps no more than the religious, right? Like you, 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 you submit to an absolute and that's part of the act of, of preserving it or of accessing its value, let's say. And, you know, I, I obviously don't know the answer here, but I, I do get nervous when I just see people have basically arbitrary expectations. Oh, Bitcoin should be more adopted by now. Really? Who, who, who says that? Why, why should it be more mm-hmm. adopted mm-hmm. right now? Or Bitcoin should be, we should have hyper-Bitcoinization in 10 years. Why? Where is that written, you know, in stone? And so based off of those expectations, then ideas come up and then people want to make themselves relevant. I don't mean that pejoratively at all. I mean, we all want relevance, right? We want to commit ourselves to meaningful work. And so you go, oh, well, it's not where it should be. I have the capacity to to do something, to make it something different, something, make it more attractive, make it meet that expectation of mine. And so I'm going to do that. And then we get, you know, we get potentially harmful tinkering. And the question is, is like, how harmful is that? And, you know, maybe it's not that harmful, you know, on a certain frequency, but maybe that frequency picks up when, when, you know, cause anytime you do something and the consequences don't manifest, you think, Oh, you know, so sweet. It, it worked. And we, you get bolder and bolder and mm-hmm, bolder. Mm-hmm, you get less, mm-hmm. less humble and less humble and less humble until you actually, you know, you, you break, break the thing or you, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, impair yeah. it or you, yeah. you're whatever. And so, Again, the question is, is how, like, where is this discussion and how much patience should we be having to manage those expectations and allow ourselves or dedicate ourselves to be more humble towards what's actually happening here? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you you just touched on something really good. There is like the, you know, the the problem may not be the change specifically. The problem may be the, uh, that the change actually is successful and does no damage and mm-hmm. sets the stage for a further change and a further change. And it basically changes the, um, the ethos of what we're doing. And I think Bitcoin's primary feature is that it's unchangeable um, or that it doesn't change. Like, and it, and, and I think that that point is, yeah, probably hasn't dawned on enough people, um, particularly those that are more technically, um, inclined i would say is you know like if you're technically inclined and you're you know you're proficient at you know tinkering and stuff like that your your predisposition is towards you know changing and tinkering stuff but i i I really don't think that um you know erring towards no is sometimes just the better decision just yeah and, yeah, and, yeah, and sure. as, as you as you tinker and as the frequency of those changes occur then you're uh, your sphere of things that are legitimately on the table for change just grows, right? It's like, first it's like, all right, we have this big, we're not going to change all these different things. And then you're like, oh, well, we can, we can change this. That's not critical. Or we can change that. And then until you wind up being like, well, I guess we can change anything about it. If we can conjure up a type of logic or rationale, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, and that, that's the thing that, that, concerns me to a certain degree it's like who who said you know as we were saying earlier kind of in in relation to your you know perspective and way of acting during the covid years let's say it's like how do you know that however you're devising your logic your rationale or what your expectations or what you think a thing should be 
I mean, how do you know that's valid or as valid as it could be? You know, we're all, we're all fallible. We all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We all have blind spots. And so I, again, I think, you know, I share the opinion with you, like one, the most uh, valuable thing about this is that it, there's an element of it that does not change. And to what mm-hmm. extent does, how much creep is there basically toward mm-hmm. ultimately being at the doorstep of, of rationalizing, changing, even the thing that supposedly can't be changed, let's say 21 million. Yeah. And you know, there's already discourse about that. And so there's, there's discourse and it's always technical. And mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see more discussion about uh, how people should be thinking, how node runners, you know, people that are going going to be, you know, so-called casting votes in, in things like this, how they should be thinking about uh, change to this system at all and what changes are legitimate and how patient we should be being and, you know, all the different stuff that's wrapped up in that. And it's by no means a simple, simple subject, but it's probably the most important one. You know, I just don't well, see that, where, that much yeah. dialogue on it. This, this is where like people's um, people's knowledge base around Bitcoin does need to broaden, right? And you know, it's it's almost it's it's funny to watch like the, you know, almost the the different schools in in sort of the Bitcoin ecosystem sort of emerge out of this. You know, you've got the the techies kind of coming out and saying, you know, we need to do this, and then almost like the Austrian kind of thinkers and all that sort of stuff saying, well, you know, no. Like, you know, Bitcoin is money. And then there's almost like this kind of third group, which is, you know, maybe like a a more holistic viewpoint of, you know, Bitcoin as a as a movement or as like, you know, as we've called it, like this, you know, truth or this, you know, this thing. Um and, you know, we sort of, you know, I, I think maybe we kind of sit more in that camp. And, you know, I, I align far more with the sort of the Austrian thinking of this is this is a money, first and foremost. Um I think it's more than just the money, you know, I think it's, you know, got a lot more, a lot more going on, but, uh, when, when I sort of view it through that lens, you know, if, if anything, like while the technological backbone of Bitcoin is like, uh, well, I, I should rephrase the technological element of Bitcoin is the backbone. Like if, you know, without the technology, it doesn't exist. Um, you know, what that represents is something of, you know, higher order mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm articulating that correctly but like that 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 higher order discussion as you said is not being had like we're having a technical discussion we're in the fucking weeds arguing about whether a feature is useful or not um and we're missing the the higher argument of whether we should even be having that discussion or not uh, yeah and that and that's a and that's a different that's a completely different um level of discussion uh and I, I would say probably more important level of discussion, considering the importance of what the hell we've got on our hands here. Like, I, mm-hmm. I want to know that the stuff that I've got in cold storage multisig is going to be there 100 years from now. Like, and and I'm pretty sure that if we don't fucking touch Bitcoin at the moment, like, or ever again, it's probably still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure that if we start messing with things, whether that's going to be the case. And that to me is just hands down, just tells me, you know, what sort of, uh, how we should view any, any potential technical changes. Yeah. You know, it sometimes makes me think in the comparison, it's not perfectly apt and it's already happened to some degree in, in shit coins, but, you know, as even the dominant monotheistic religions of the past have fractured in various ways as they've developed because of 
effectively ideological differences between the different factions, will that be Bitcoin's fate in in in, mm. in the future? Like, will it be, oh, this group, you know, it's still, I mean, it, it, again, that, that has happened to some degree, but even a narrower uh, disagreement and, you know, pe certain people go this way, certain people go that way, you know, who knows? But uh, again, I just- It's an I interesting just, one. Yeah, that, that is an interesting one. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's like a few flavors of Bitcoin um, in the future. And I mean, that that would, I mean, that would kind of suck. Um, you know, may, maybe that, you know, might be an intermediate phase because, you know, sort of money does have this uh, kind of concentrating effect, right? Right. So it's a little bit, right. you know, different than an ideology. So I still think... You know, on a long enough time scale, yeah, exactly. We, we get yeah. there, but um, you know, th there is there is the risk that we kind of, through our own stupidity and hubris, kind of put ourselves through another fifty years of like, that's mess. Just that's because... always a risk. Our own stupidity and stupidity and hubris, right? And that that's the yeah. thing that we should, at least to the extent that we can, try to uh, prevent. But you know, we're always building towers of Babel, right? Yeah, we are. We are totally. Um, um, all right, last. Go, go ahead. Go, go. I was just going to say last. The uh, last thing that I have for you is, and again, I, I think this is highly bear market driven. But well, I mean, I, I think the the sentiments that you and I shared earlier on about readjusting focus. I again, I, I've I've noticed a lot of people doing that, and it's just it's people seem far more committed to cutting out noise, cutting out distractions, cutting out things that aren't important or meaningful and focusing on those that are, whether they be in the realm of health, career, you know, whatever. Um, and I wonder if that's just our cohort and this current time or, and I'm thinking about this through the lens of your article about the different phases of, of Bitcoin's development. Um, like, why is it seemingly kind of going quiet around here? And is will, as new people come in, let's say you 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 come in today, you're new. Like you you read all the books and stuff, but there's not the same amount of exuberance and excitement and hoopla that there has been in other periods. Will that inform how you go about doing this thing? Like you just look around and you're like, oh, so people just adopt this, they save in it, they use it where they can and where they mm -hmm. want to. And otherwise mm -hmm. they go on about their life trying to move towards what's most valuable and meaningful to them. And that makes a ton of sense to me. So I'm going to do that. And it's like, so my question is, do you think we're, that's kind of a part of the next phase that we're moving into? Or is it just, you know, bear market things? My, my guess is that we're probably I think that will come. My guess is that probably at least my first generation uh, guess of like the first 20 years is probably going to be on point. Like we probably have to go through 20 years of the infection stage. And I think the speculation needs to just drive Bitcoin's liquidity up. So I'm kind of like thinking of this first phase through a through an economic lens, um, and then I'm extrapolating backwards, saying, "Okay, well, if we're looking through it through an economic lens, how do we actually get there?" So then the psychological lens is that we still treat it like a gambling thing. Um, and I, I'm also just thinking because, you know, through all the traveling that I've done, and you know, I'm I'm sort of building networks outside of Bitcoin now. Um, and when I just talk to people, they, they still 
you know, just fundamentally not ready. Like I tried to pay my rent the other day uh, where I am now in Bitcoin and I couldn't, you know, the person was like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not. I tried to do that too. And they, yeah. they even have a, like a ledger and they, you know, they, they, they have Bitcoin and shit coins and all that kind of stuff, but they weren't interested in anymore. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, so, th I mean, this one didn't have a ledger or anything, but it was just like, oh, you know, we, we don't do that here. Right. That was sort of the, the response. So, so that kind of tells me like, we've probably still got quite a way. And my guess, like with sort of two more halvings before the end of this decade, um, we'll probably see at least the transition towards that. And maybe, you know, after the second halving, you know, the, the, the proverbial bear market that comes after that, you know, maybe from an amplitude standpoint, it's, you know, more subtle because I mean, two halvings, we could be at that million dollar mark. And at that point you've got sort of cent sat parity. And that's a really important point for Bitcoin is because at that point, I don't think people will be looking at the Bitcoin price as much. It'll be the sat price. Um, mm. Like the, I think there's a, there's a real phase shift kind of, kind of like think, think about, you know, phase shifts. The, the best example is like water, ice and gas, right? So there's a particular point at which the you know the h2o actually transforms into a different state mm. and you know there's like gas 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 you know then liquid and then all of a sudden liquid liquid, liquid and then all of a sudden um uh solid so bitcoin will probably go through the same thing in these sort of generational shifts like once the perception of Bitcoin is that, hey, this is like a million dollars. Like the average person will not be able to buy a Bitcoin. Um, you know, it'll be reserved, like a whole Bitcoin will sort of move into a new phase and it'll be perceived as something that only, you know, organizations or the very rich can actually still acquire. And they probably won't look like maybe organizations will put it on their balance sheet because at a million dollars, not only, um, you know, is it sort of reserved for that sort of stat, uh, layer or status, but also at a million dollars, you'll have so much more liquidity that, you know, a $10,000 a day price uh, movement in price is meaningless. So you, you, you know, you sort of dampen the volatility at that point. So at that point, organizations will be more akin or likely to, uh, to putting it on their treasury. But most people then will begin to perceive Bitcoin as Satoshi's. And, you know, most applications will probably not represent Bitcoin in terms of what you're sending. Like, I think that phase will have disappeared, like everything will be in sats. Um, and the relationship to Bitcoin, you know, with the dampening of the volatility and the way we interact with it and how we perceive it, I think will change the behavior. And yeah, maybe two, two halvings from now, um, we start to maybe move into what you're discussing which is the difference of, yeah, I just save in this. It's what I have. That's where I keep my savings. And I'm no longer trying to gamble with it because, you know, the gambling opportunity came and went. That was the last phase. Mm -hmm. So for, for people like you and I, and, you know, many people we know that have been here for a while, because again, I get this sense of focus, I get it's probably the right word, but I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I get it seen all the stuff, charts, thesis, macro stuff, you know, I, I pretty much get it. And I don't need, you know, it, that stuff doesn't interest me as much anymore. And so I'm just going to focus on what's most meaningful, stack my sats and, you know, go on to becoming and contributing to this sort of parallel economy. Is that just me? Do you notice, uh, you know, 
something similar in yourself or in the people you mix it up with that there's kind of a, and I, I it's not a, it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that people get are mm-hmm, bored mm-hmm. with things. I'm, I'm just, I think people are just like, I get it. And it's more, it's a better use of my time to focus on either things I don't get or that I need to work towards and, and build rather than, you know, keep giving me myself the dopamine hit of things I already get by people I already know their shtick and, and that kind of stuff. Maybe, 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 maybe. I think like maybe there's like a, you know, a five-year time span, you know, that you have to sort of go through and be like really in it and, you know, writing and commenting on Twitter and, you know, spaces and all this sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, maybe you have to go through a couple bear cycles and a couple bull cycles and all that sort of stuff to kind of get the, um, you know, maybe your own personal phase shift. Right, um, right. And maybe we all have to go through a personal phase sh- shift that might, you know, on average last five years and then sort of collectively enough people have gone through that five years phase shift that we have a large enough cohort that we then, you know, move into the next you know, the larger collective phase shift of Bitcoin and the way it's perceived in the marketplace itself. Because, you know, arguably, you know, the people who got into Bitcoin in 2010, 2011, um, I think a lot of them are far more quiet, you know, than right. sort of the, the the class that got in, you know, 2015, 2016. Um, and then, you know, I'm I'm honestly happy, like at this point to pass the, you know, baton on to the class of 2020, and they can go to war on Twitter and you know do their thing, um, and sort of carry Bitcoin through the next cycle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'll be I'll be far more quiet about it, um, and that feels good. So yeah, maybe maybe there's a thing there, um, and we've all got to sort of like earn our stripes in some sense. Yeah, I mean, I I pr- pretty much the reason why I ask is because it's hard for, as is the case either with you now or what I'm sure you'll find is like because we've both uh focused right and step back from certain placing our attention at in certain places it's hard to gauge right like i can't tell if everyone is just mm-hmm. off living their mm-hmm. best life or if that's just you know me and you and a, a group of other you know some other people um but anyways all right this is actually the last thing because i i wanted to ask it to you in the last topic but i forgot but as part of and then i promise i'll let you go um as part of the <laughs> uh this whole like how and when should Bitcoin be changed sort of argument. I mean, you and I have discussed this a lot, as have many others, that Bitcoin changes you, right? And I think necessarily part of the reason it changes you is because of what it is. Now, we might spend hours and hours trying to articulate what Bitcoin is and its meaning and its implications and all that. So I don't want to get into that. I just want to say that's how things change you, right? Like it's you interfacing with something as it is, something, it's nature, what it represents. And the relationship there is what causes one to change. And people are finding that Bitcoin is incredibly transformational, let's say, because whatever it is, is having that effect. And I think a lot of us tend to think that those are very positive transformations. You know, I've heard countless from, from people, you know, like known people and unknown people about how engaging in this, learning about it, uh, adopting it in their life has had profound positive influences. And one of the things that, that I am considering and borderline concerned about is 
if we continue down that road of continuously changing this thing, again, to what degree are we making it conform to our inefficiencies, mm. to our mm -hmm. insecurities, mm -hmm. to our imperfections, instead of forcing ourselves oh, to adapt to it? And it seems mm -hmm. to be the case that the latter is a far more productive, healthy, constructive um, way of going about things because of the results that it elicits. I mean, again, we go back to clown world. One of the ways you could characterize clown world is just people expecting the world to conform to them, to their biases, their prejudices, their bullshit, their insecurities, their fears, their weaknesses, all that stuff. And so it, it seems like part of the reason why Bitcoin is exerting this positive uh, trend, uh, impact on people is because it's doing the opposite. It's saying, I ain't changing. If you want like me in your life, you're the one that has to change. You have to take the responsibility. You have to learn. You have to expand your understanding or intellectual capacity in a, in a number of different areas. You have to enhance, you know, blah, 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 all the way down the line. And so one of the concerns is, and I, I, you know, perhaps again, you know, the Tower of Babel sort of thing is a, is a good metaphor, but we change it so much that it has a diminishing impact on it has diminishing demands on the on changes in ourselves which are beneficial and do we just continue to neuter that until we've conformed it to ourselves rather than the opposite way around and and, and that is a far less beneficial circumstance than otherwise could have been the case man totally you, you touch on such a such an important point so it reminds me of Seyfedean uh, wrote a piece for the Bitcoin Times edition five for the Austrian edition, and he, it's called uh, "Making Time Preference Great Again" or something. Or make, sorry, "Making Time Preference Low Again." Um, and th this is something that loads of Bitcoiners talk about, like you know, time preference and you know how Bitcoin changes time preference and you know lowers it, blah blah blah. And th this sort of pokes at the heart of um, of you know, this sort of this confluence or this intersection of like discussions of morality, of discussions of, you know, human behavior, how we behave, you know, how we adapt ourselves. Um, you know, the the discussion about time preference and how much we value the future and things like that, all sort of, you know, hinges on this notion of uh, time preference and you can only have time preference with certainty and you can only have certainty when you sort of you know trust that something's unchanging like you don't i don't get up out of bed and walk across the the floor like if i didn't know for certain that the um that the ground would be there right like so so you need it you need a base level of certainty and this ties into like things like maslow's hierarchies and tony robbins the six human needs like you know certainty is sort of like the foundational need and you know bitcoin sort of is we everyone talks about sort of the foundational uh, essence of bitcoin it is this foundational thing and if you want to be foundation uh, you have to be certain certainty driven like that's sort of the the north star and you know, Sailor has a great um, analogy. Like Bitcoin is granite, right? And you you want a strong foundation. You want granite to build upon. You don't want to build on quicksand. Um, and you know, to to your point, what you're saying is like the more we try and change it, the more we turn it into something that is malleable. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, it being malleable or moldable or changeable, etc., is is actually the wrong thing. And you know, in in doing that, like you know, we we lose the muscle that we build when you know kind of confronting 
something that is immovable, right? Like, and I mean, you could, you could link this back to things like going to train at the gym, right? You know, like lifting heavy weights, you know, you're, you're sculpting yourself against resistance. Um, and if you just went in there and lift, you know, spent time lifting feathers, like nothing is going to, you know, like if you right. keep making the le- the weight lighter so that you can adapt it so it's easier for you and more comfortable and, you know, sounds nicer or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to change. You're not going to get better. And that that's a, that's a big risk. And this is sort of ties back to what I said earlier is people need to broaden their, um, their understanding of what Bitcoin is. And, you know, to sort of, to show my Bitcoin times publication again, is like each year I try and like the whole premise of why I'm doing that is each year I want to do a theme that looks at Bitcoin through a different lens. And, you know, last year's theme was let's look at Bitcoin through an Austrian lens and Austrian economics through a Bitcoin lens, because each theme will be a way to understand Bitcoin through the theme, but also look at how Bitcoin sort of, you know, looks back at you, right? And -hmm. like impacts the theme itself. And, you know, that's sort of what we did with this edition. And, you know, the previous one was sort of a new hope, you know, the previous one was that Promethean edition. Um, you know, this year we're going to do the energy edition. You know, I really want to do like a theology edition, you know, or sort of like a higher truth edition, you know, where I want you to be involved and, you know, some other some other great thinkers in Bitcoin. But, you know, th- this sort of inquiry on Bitcoin um, and sort of the, the broadening of, you know, our individual perception of what Bitcoin is hopefully leads people to, you know, a similar realization of you know, maybe tinkering is not a good idea. Maybe sort of the way we think we can adapt this to us instead of us adapting to it uh, is perhaps not the right philosophy um, and approach. So anyway, I guess that's a long way of me saying I agree with you. I think it's a very dangerous precedent to sort of think that uh, this this is a thing to adapt versus a thing to adapt to. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said. And my final point on it is just that, again, we you have to consider that in your effort to speed up adoption, you have to recognize that you're you're actually going to be changing slightly or grossly where you end up, right? So if you if all the way along the process, you force people to take the responsibility and to educate themselves and to do it like whatever, whatever the demands of current Bitcoin are on an individual to truly adopt it, if you change that, then you're also going to wind up with different individuals who have adopted it on the other side, right? Because let's say mm-hmm. you're, you're lowering the bar to some to some degree in, in this example. And so when we think about like that Bitcoin future, that parallel economy, a hyper-Bitcoinized world, the Bitcoin renaissance, and you know we think about the type of people that we either expect or would like to see there, that is highly dependent on what happens to this thing throughout that process right if you just if you if you continue lowering the bar in order to accelerate yeah. adoption what do you get in the end maybe bitcoin does survive but you're also going to get less of those what i think you and i would perceive to be beneficial changes on an individual level as a result of having confronted this thing and adopted it you know uh without um what's the word Turning it into a fucking participation award, like uh, yeah, exactly. Without it's, without it's the essence of what you're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, like th- this reminds me of um, compromise. Of the, That's what, uh, without compromise. compromise That's what I was yeah. looking for. Yeah, the this reminds me of the um, the remnant series that I did, right? Like 
that like my whole point of the remnant series is that like we don't need to drive for mass adoption like right now it's like selective adoption and there's there should be a barrier to entry you know there should be work that goes into people trying to understand bitcoin and all that sort of stuff and um and that's fine like we shouldn't be like you know coming coming to it from a place of sort of like desperation like oh you know we need people to like accept bitcoin you know and like accept us as bitcoiners um because you know we're so uh you know, we're so right or virtuous or whatever. Like, it's like, no, like a lot you, of pitfalls sort of like, on that path. Totally, man. And like, you know, like real, real leadership is honestly, um, you know, showing up by example um, and then inspiring others through example to sort of want to be like you. And and I, I actually gave this, I gave a super impromptu talk in, in Prague last year at the, um at the Liberty in our lifetimes conference. And one of the things I, one of the things I said there was, you know, I said, you know, there's a lot of libertarians here, a lot of people who want sort of freedom and everything like that. I said, you know, instead of uh, bickering and complaining about why, how bad the government and the state is, I said, you need to become the best version of yourself. And if you want other people to be sort of libertarian and freedom minded, fucking be an example of someone others want to be like. Mm. And if you do that, you'll have far more success uh, and long-term success than, um, you know, being kind of that, like, you know, once again, it, it is a token is a, libertarian, the the token libertarian, right? There's mm-hmm. like the, the fat slob with the long hair and, you know, the shirt that, you know, don't tread on me. Right. Like, like, <laughs> you know, that, that, that doesn't inspire anyone. Right. And not yeah. saying that they're all like that, but there, there is a large cohort, right. Um, that sort of behaves like that and you know that that ain't gonna that ain't gonna inspire anyone and you know maybe that sort of ties in to the bushido of bitcoin and why i wrote that is like you know without going on that tangent we'll we'll do a future interview for that you know, mm. what what kind of men and women do we want to be uh, what virtues do we want to embody and extol um Exactly. Know, in this sort of new era that's going to emerge. And um anyway, that's a that's well, you a get the you get the double you, you, you get the double whammy there, right? You, you get you get improvement in your own life and the things that are meaningful to you, and you you represent the most effective orange pill or red pill or whatever pill you're trying to deliver yeah. simultaneously. Because as you say, I mean your results are what inspire others to follow your lead. And then you doing that to yourself is what allows you to achieve the things that you want. And so both happen and i agree that they're they're i mean that and that's a that's that approach takes wisdom right because the the impulsive thing the the immediate immediately gratifying thing is to say i'm right i know the solution to the problem this is why you need to adopt it this is what why you need to understand it and i'm the person to tell you about it like there is a lot of bullshit wrapped up in that <laughs> and you can see why people are re- reject that you know they, they, that's yeah. not a very effective strategy but the one that you outlined is and to the point about your upcoming book uh, Bushido, Bushido, which we will definitely have to do another pod about. I think it's going to be along those lines, right? It's going to be about like that's that's what it's about. What are the virtues and the principles and the values that have been elucidated or amplified as a result of your journey down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, and of course your investigation of all sorts of other, you know, wisdom and historical figures and stuff like that, that enable one to do that, to do just that. And uh, so, 
I can't wait to have a chat about uh, about that when it, when it's done and when I've had a chance to read it because I'm sure it's going to be great. Totally, I appreciate that, man. And yes, I echo everything you said, and um, and I think, yeah, it, th- this journey has just been fantastic. And and honestly, and I've I've said this before on you know when you joined me on my podcast, I think there's like there's a few there's always a few bright spots for me in like sort of the Bitcoin space um, of people that I sort of see not only eye to eye to, but sort of feel like, you know, just, just get, get life at a deeper sense. And, you know, you're, you're definitely one of those, like since we first caught up, Jesus, mm-hmm. what was it like 2017, 2018, when we first did the first rapid fire, when I came on your show and like, we were still like, you know, these little Bitcoin Padawans, right? Like we were <laughs> innocent trying to navigate what the hell this thing is, but we, we had a deep conversation and sort of like you know kindred spirits in that sense and totally yeah totally. It's, it's been a it's been a fantastic journey man honestly it, yeah i couldn't agree more and isn't it weird how you know time in bitcoin just has a different feel i don't know if it's sometimes like so much seems to happen in a short period of time or something that was recent feels like a long time ago but mm-hmm. uh you know 2000 i think 2019 might have been the first time we spoke because i think that's when i started the pod but even that okay. you know on the calendar it doesn't seem yeah, wow. like that long yeah. ago yeah but yeah. that conversation seems like a long time ago you know our first chat yeah wow okay shit i didn't realize it, it literally <laughs> felt to me like 2017 like i felt like yeah. it's got to be at least six years yeah, exactly yeah wow okay yeah it's weird all right man i've uh taken up more of your time than I asked for. So no I'll let you go. But any any closing remarks or final words or anything you want to get off your closing chest? Closing remarks. Okay. Um I think I would say, you know, I mean my guess is that most people have probably read Uncommunist, but if they haven't, I'd love for them to go out, check it out. It's on Amazon. They can pick it up. It's cheap. Um I think also the Bitcoin Times, that's something I've been trying to show recently because as I said earlier, I think getting uh these you know for me that's a project of you know quality over quantity 21 editions over 21 years um you know the collectible itself printed 2100 times with the number on the back and all that sort of stuff but like this i i i I themed it that way because i want it to represent you know quality uh, over quantity and you know each year has its own set of themes and i think you know, people sort of come away like the the first shipments of edition five started going out um, a couple of weeks back. And the response that I've had from people has been phenomenal. They're like, holy shit, this is the best uh, piece of Bitcoin literature I've bought. Or, you know, I had one guy actually, let, let me read this message. It was hilarious. Uh, he, this is such a funny message. Um, Where's the dude? Blame? So he, he messages me. He's like, hey, Svetsky, I spent uh today reading the bitcoin times and there have been many moments where i've dropped the magazine to stare into the middle distance and contemplate what i've been reading that's <laughs> awesome my my favorite issue is the austrian edition um and the content artwork and feel of each copy uh is quality um he said i i have to say you know i had a churning feeling i don't like spending stats but they are pure signal thought-provoking and um and inspiring so anyway like i think you know, that sort of, that sort of stuff, like, cause, cause there is a lot of Bitcoin content, you know, like everyone's a writer today and, you know, everyone's writing articles and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, what I've really tried to do with this is pick the best of the best, um, you know, whether it's thinkers or whatever and compile them. And, you know, you know, if people want to support that, like it's sats only Bitcoin times.io uh, and they can pick up a piece of, you know, memorabilia, but also something of quality. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing is, um, 
to keep an eye out for the Bushido of Bitcoin, which we were going to discuss. I was going to do a crowdfund for it, but that turned out to be too complicated with the way the the publisher relationship is with this book. So they're just going to have to wait for the launch in June, July. And I think that may be the most important work I've ever written. Um, so without blowing smoke up my ass, um, it's a good <laughs> one. And I think people will enjoy it. Is it going to be longer than Uncommunist? Yeah, yeah. I man, I I did sixty thousand words in six weeks. Like I wow. fucking hit this one hot. I just did a dump, like organizing notes yesterday for what I've been writing, and it's one hundred and seventy six thousand words so far. <laughs> I haven't right. even, you know, there's. I mean, a lot of that is is obviously overlap, uh, mm -hmm. and there's mm -hmm. there's much editing to be done, but um, no narrative in place yet. You know, just kind of. Mm -hmm. You know, so fuck. I don't know. Who knows when that's going to be a thing? Definitely. Welcome, um, welcome to the tough part, bro. This is where, you, yeah. Like, are you self-publishing like this one? No, this one I'm, I'm publishing with Bitcoin Magazine. So, oh, cool. This one, cool. yeah, this one I gave to them because I thought you know they can hopefully get bigger reach. So, so let's see. It'll actually be interesting to see uh, comparing the numbers we hit at Uncommunist versus these. Um, what kind of reach can they provide? I mean, they've got obviously on Twitter they have two million. You know, oh promotion, yeah, promotional stuff. Yeah, but so like really distribution wise, it. is it is it the same? I think distribution wise, it'll be similar. They're going to get me more than just Amazon, obviously. So they'll it'll be in bookshelves. It'll be so it'll be right. broader they and have, wider that way. Right, they've distributed the mag and they have those relationships and stuff, right? Yeah, and and I wouldn't know the first thing about how to sort of engage uh, anything beyond Amazon. So right. anyway, like you know, I'm I'm giving away a decent chunk for it, but hey. You know, like I said, I'm I'm not really doing this for the money. So for me, if I can get this message out to a wider audience, like I would love to see this one sell fifty thousand copies and like really sort of go. Be, I want people to sort of, you know, get Bitcoin standard for understanding Bitcoin and sort of get the bushido of Bitcoin for understanding what it means to be a Bitcoiner. Like nice. that's sort of how nice. I'm envisioning this. Well, I suspect it will be the first of many books in your collection at some point. So. Like I said, when it's done, you'll have to come back on and we can get deep in the weeds on that one. For sure, brother. All right, brother. Great to talk and uh, take care. I'll talk to you again soon. As always, man. Thank you so much.